With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Christina Pitam, a creator and entrepreneur. And I'm Daniela Alexandra, a stylist and content creator. And we are In, In Case, Case You, you Haven't, Haven't Heard podcast. podcast. We're giving you the behind the scenes and an inside scoop of what really goes down. So you know exactly what the fuck is going on. Hello, hello, hello. What is up? Welcome back to You Haven't Heard Podcast. I am your co-host, Christina Pittam. And I am your beautiful co-host, stunning co-host, Danielle. And this week, we have an exciting sponsor to bring you a new for sponsor. this episode. And today's sponsor is... Is... Lorena! Woo! Surprise! Woo! Yeah! Woo! <laughs> Yeah, why don't we sponsor the episode today? Yeah. Lorena bodysuits are luscious, made with beautiful fabrication, and supports your bust with a easy access clasp. Easy to go to the bathroom, easy to get undressed, just easy overall. But we also offer masks with match- matching satin scrunchies that you guys have to check out because, first of all, they coordinate. And second of all, masks aren't going anywhere. Although we have the vaccine coming up in the new year for many of us masks are going to be mandatory for probably the next two years now so comp your new satin masks we have a baby sage moonstone and chocolate color that we just dropped last month that are a perfect gift for you or for your loved ones for this holiday season and i do have to say whenever i wear my lorena mask i get the most compliments everyone always asks me where my mask is from and i always plug in lorena and i'm not just saying that for the pod she's it's not just saying that guys real <laughs> can you give us an exclusive maybe let's do a little promo for for our audience Ooh, can we do that absolutely yes to our dedicated listeners i would love we would love to offer you 15% off your order, an exclusive <gasps> discount code. 15, I love that. You haven't heard 15 at checkout and we'll obviously leave it down below as well if you guys want to check it out there. So happy shopping. Now getting into this week's episode, we have a wonderful guest on the podcast. Daisy Kendrick, a friend of mine and also a very credible woman, not only in the business space, but specifically in the climate change advocacy space. She is, I mean, she's been featured on Forbes this month under 100 UK leading environmentalists. She was also in the Vogue Spain feature in December for the business issue alongside six young women who are redefining what it means to be female leaders and navigate business in our world, as well as the youngest recipient of the 2018 Mary Claire Future Shaper Award, and not to mention the author of a book that was published earlier this year, 
This guest is truly remarkable and we are so thrilled to have Daisy on the pod today. We can't wait for you guys to hear this episode because it's a good one and we will let Daisy take it away from here. We want to start with explain kind of what your background is and what you went to school for and then you can introduce Ocean Generation. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you both. Okay, so my background um, was I grew up in Spain, went to high school in Madrid, and then I went to university in Boston. I was studying international relations, and then I ended up doing minors in like social entrepreneurship and uh, law and public policy. And the university that I went to, Northeastern, they have this thing called co-op. And so they encourage you to go and work for six to eight months and stop studying. And sometimes you take longer to graduate, but when you leave, you have like real world experience. And one of the um, work experiences that I did was at the United Nations in New York. Um, So kind of studying international relations, you know, working at the UN is like dream job. It was a super exciting year because um, it was 2015 when they were introducing the Sustainable Development Agenda. So um, 17 goals for the next 15 years. For the first time in history, there was a big push on climate change and then all the other kind of standard goals that I'd had before about poverty, education, etc. But I was working for an island called Grenada, which is in the Caribbean. And a lot of the meetings that I was going to on behalf of the island were about climate change. And so that's where I really started to learn um, about different climate and ocean issues. And, you know, that was really when I realized that, you know, this is one of the greatest threats to our generation. And, you know, we didn't actually know much about it. And this was kind of the year, couple of years pre to like plastics and things like that booming on Facebook. So, you know, I started to talk to friends and my social circles, my family about the topic and, you know, very few of us actually knew the the harsh reality, you know, that people were losing their homes today, that there was so, you know, sea levels are rising, natural disasters becoming more prevalent, and, you know, that we really are in a climate emergency. I kind of had this idea while I was doing my internship um, about doing a song about the oceans and raising awareness, kind of like Bob Geldof's 30 years ago, We Are the World, We Are the Children. So a song called We Are the Oceans. And long story short, ended up getting these guys in London to write a song called We Are the Oceans um, that then turned into a social campaign, which if you type in on YouTube, hashtag my oceans, you'll find like lots of different versions of this song. And that was kind of like the catalyst for which then kind of was the next part of my life because I still had to go back to Boston. I had to graduate and I graduated, moved back to London and then out from Boston and then was like, okay, what am I going to do with my life? And through these activations, I'd started um, with this idea to kind of generate awareness for climate change using more like innovative means. It just generated quite a lot of attention. And then I just kind of followed that and snowballed with the climate stuff. And, And that's kind of how I started my career fresh out of college. That sounds amazing. And what is the main object? objective of starting such a innovative initiative because I looking even at the social media that you currently have you really speak to the younger generation the millennials the gen z's and even how you spoke to you starting you know a song and a social campaign what is the main object 
perspective of the organization. Maybe let's talk about when you first started versus now. Um, so to be quite honest, like as I said, I didn't really have a plan mapped out of you know how ocean generation was going to be, and it even had an, another name at the beginning. It was very much trial and error, experimentation, you know, speaking to people, building my network, uh, seeing where we could collaborate, see where we could get industries and people that are not involved in this topic actually involved. Because when I like first started to get into this topic, what I realized was there's either science policy research or there's like kids school climate education programs and for our generation that wasn't speaking to us you know that wasn't you know we needed to bridge that gap and so the aim was to fill that gap and so using platforms that already have existing audiences was one of kind of the fundamental aims of raising awareness so for example as you say like you know doing music in youtube and using influencers to do their version of the song and share it with their audience you know they already have their audience so that's getting a message out there using you know things that already exist and then we experimented with mobile gaming and we ended up doing partnerships with the likes of like angry birds you know they gave us space on their platform during where they would normally have like intervals and ads but they gave it for people to have the opportunity to play a mini climate game you could click yes or no and then you know you ended up doing this kind of multiple choice game about different climate topic issues and they gave us that space on their platform with an existing audience and we had like over 7 million players in a really short amount of time and so it was about leveraging you know what what was already out there and fusing and bridging um different means and so you know that was kind of the idea with the social side but then one of the things that I was also particularly passionate about was really actually having impact on the ground and this not just being you know a social movement because while that's important while individual change is important while empowering ourselves is really important and you know we can make a difference through our own choices you know the fact is is that there are people as I mentioned earlier that are losing their homes today that can no longer rely on tourism or fishing because of natural disasters or issues like overfishing and different sustainability issues and so I really wanted to make sure that in addition to the social side we really had like stakes in the ground, working with people and working with young people in particular. And then we kind of opened another kind of arm and division of the organization, which was um, working with young people from islands, teaching them how to make film documentaries. They could tell their own story, but they're learning a skill at the same time. Then we grew into teaching coding. Most people like why as an environmental organization, why would you be teaching young people how to code? But the idea was, is like, well, you know, they can no longer be fishermen or they can no longer rely on tourism. You know, how can we future proof these generations? And so that's why we started our coding programs. Then we did some hackathons to come up with real world solutions. Um, So we kind of ocean generation then had its two avenues. One, the social media side. And as well, you know, one of the questions and one of our greatest challenges is how do we get people, you know, here in London or Madrid or New York to actually care about things that are happening on islands or faraway places that it doesn't even affect their, you know, their days at all. So that's why we kind of had to have that two uh, prong approach as well, because we're still always trying to learn about how we can bridge those gaps. So as, I mean, when you started, you said, like, everything kind of happened between, like, different elements kind of snowballing together and then kind of, you know, creating this larger-than-life thing. And then you kind of realized, okay, it's it's time to, like, really, like, take this to the next level. Are you 
involved in in it with like a bunch of other people or how do you start like reeling different you know people in with different fortes in the different areas that you just kind of explained once you get to the point that you're like okay this is going to be a huge corporation um so we're a non-profit so that's also makes it difficult because you know one of the main things is you know funding and how do you you know sustainably fund a non-profit one of the beginning questions was, you know, what what did you study? And, and, you know, one of that was social entrepreneurship. And so I'm very much about the model about moving away from this kind of dependency model into actually empowering people and finding sustainable ways to, to, to support organizations and for them to generate income. But because of the way things happen, we ended up being a nonprofit. So, you know, funding, first of all, is like one of the biggest challenges uh, you know, people in the nonprofit sector or people outside automatically have this assumption that if you're running a nonprofit, then people will do everything for free. And that's not the case. If you want good content, if you want good things, if you want professionals doing a great job, it really is like running a business. And so, you know, you have to find those ways to, to fund the programs and the people. And yeah, the people part was super important. While we had some great collaborations, you know, some of the people that I worked with, and especially even now today, there's a guy called Brad. He's kind of like the content digital guy. And he, together as a team, you know, we've really made kind of the social side happen but that wasn't just me alone that was definitely working with other people and you know having trust in them and you know I think believing in the same vision and then also realizing that you know things have to change things have to adapt and now I'm in a stage where actually I've reached a point where I realize that actually while this was like a roller coaster ride I for personal reason, things can't dedicate my full time into growing this organization anymore. I've personally moved into like working on the corporate side and working for my family business. So I also have recently had, we well, it's going to happen next year, but we're merging and someone is taking us over. And that's been a really exciting process this year. But one of the biggest lessons was definitely kind of recognizing as well when you can kind of let go when it's when you've reached your peak and where you think that other people can come in and do better things especially for the cause and so yeah that's where I am right now let's dive deeper into how do you go about the funding aspect of things like what's the ground zero do you pitch yourself constantly or is it different events or fundraisers that you hold I would definitely say pitching hardcore reaching out to people on LinkedIn having no shame hearing lots of you know no one responding to you or lots of no's but yeah just you know making sure that you have a clear like USP you know your your unique point of what your organization stands for what exactly you're doing where people can get involved and you know what exactly they would be supporting you know having that clear and concise pitch was definitely key knocking on people's doors as well that's you know inevitable and then in terms of like the fundraising, so this is really interesting and, and definitely this is a really great learning experience and probably something that I didn't even get right, but I definitely learned a lot. You know, one of the things that I thought and what I was feeling at the time when I ended up starting a nonprofit is like our generation, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not sure if, you know, we really trust nonprofits anymore as much as we used to do in the past and how valuable do we value like social likes and sharing content as more helpful than actually donating dollars and that kind of disparity was also like, you know, I want people to engage in this cause, but I don't want to be pestering our audience 
constantly to donate for money. So how can we have that global collective and like group of people who care about this cause and how can we find the right funders to support this? You know, we did do various events and like one in particular that comes to mind was like for a specific event after Hurricane Irma to help uh, the Caribbean region. And, you know, that went specifically over there to help, etc. But from an organization point of view for Ocean Generation, I kind of always felt that, you know, I didn't want to always be asking our audience for funding and for dollars. So therefore, you know, how could I fund this, you know, from a corporate level or from other partners, etc. And so that's how I how I looked at it. Interesting. So then that along with marketing playing a huge key pillar um, in the success, I think, of, of the business, especially, or I should say of the corporation, especially when reaching the younger millennial Gen Z audience. How would you say that you best spoke to the like relatability of your brand to those audiences? If there's like certain things that you guys did in the past that you were like, okay, this is this is going to stick or you just saw a really great reaction from your social audience. I mean, one of the things that I always wanted to do with Ocean Generation was I didn't want it to be like the same old blue and green organization like a lot of environmental organizations are. So like we pivoted like 360 and had like a black logo with two white lines, which was like, you know, you looked at it and you would never know probably that it was an an environmental organization. But that was kind of the point because, you know, I wanted to break through those stigmas and those barriers about doing things for climate change. So that was kind of one of our always key kind of things. But I think then making interactive experiences like we did with the mobile gaming, et cetera, allows people to have an experience, to get involved in something. So that really connected with people. And then creating what I would call, you know, cool graphics where, you know, people felt like sharing them, but they had a message. And again, that they were slightly distinct or the image wouldn't specifically scream ice caps melting but then you know if we can capture you because it's like an an artistic creative picture then you know in the captions you know how can we educate you and we would hope that you know with every point with every post um you know is a is a way of educating people about the topic and then when we did events um I mean, probably one of the, the, the funnest ones was like doing like a live YouTube like night where we had artists perform all night, we streamed it live on YouTube. And that was specifically about, um, you know, natural disasters. And yeah, again, that was just like an experience for people to emerge themselves in. Other than education in general and the publicity or the overt like images that we've seen online can you pinpoint what is different between when you started which was what year again when you started the organization um so so I got involved in the space in 2015 so can you pinpoint from 2015 to now has there been something in particular or something that you can speak to that has changed either the younger generation or just people's um thoughts on climate change definitely i mean you know i would say now in 2020 i mean now if you look at it from like an organizational perspective now the market is oversaturated potentially with you know climate organizations climate pages activists so actually now is even is definitely way more challenging than i when when i started five years ago to find your voice and to find your style and to find your audience because there is so much more awareness there's so much more content there's so many more people out there 
sharing like the same messages. <laughs> exactly. And people like Greta have been incredible catalysts to get this topic, you know, headline news. And then, you know, you've got legends like David Attenborough that have then, you know, partnered with Netflix and, you know, um, released documentaries. And again, using, you know, those platforms that, you know, but a lot of young people spend their time, Netflix, Instagram, et cetera, you know, projecting their messages through them is, you know, definitely heated up this movement to where now it's not only young people talking about it, it's pressure on governments for them to make policy changes, uh, you know, for them to set ambitious climate goals for countries, you know, entire nations, entire regions, so yeah, in the short five years of getting involved to where we are now, I mean, the movement has exploded. And I think it's a really positive direction. I mean, a lot of us would like to see like actual change happen quick, you know, faster. But, you know, at least the conversations are happening, at least climate change is on global political agendas. And that's because of, you know, young people spreading the word, talking about this and sharing information. What are your thoughts on his uh, documentary? And then I also want to talk about Leonardo DiCaprio because I feel like he's like has some sort of, you know, agenda with climate change. But I want to know your thoughts on um, those figures. Um, I mean, loved the documentary, David Ashman's documentary. I cried while watching the documentary. (laughs) I just felt like it was such a kind of like wow, this is our natural world and, you know, we have so much to explore and so much to appreciate and so much to take care of. And I think that was really powerful, but also seeing it from, you know, someone's perspective that has traveled the world for decades and decades. When you see those younger uh, videos of him and his like little shorts, black and white in the jungle in like Rwanda somewhere, you know, it really is like so inspiring. And I think it really is important for people to use their voice Um, especially when they're influential, like people like Leonardo DiCaprio. But then there's the other side of, you know, there always will be criticism and there will always be people who say, you know, you're not doing enough. Oh, you're just saying this or you're not doing the other. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, he has his own organization. He donates a lot of money. You know, he really kind of publicizes different, you know, issues where he can, which I think is amazing. And like, we should be grateful that someone is using their voice. On the flip side, I remember like having a conversation not long ago about he made this like public criticism about Bolsonaro in Brazil, about him, you know, cutting down the forest. And, you know, I think it was Bolsonaro or someone, you know, high level in in, in Brazil responded like, oh, well, you know, if you want to save the forest and you want Bolsonaro out, you know, put your money where your mouth is and start, you know, supporting other political parties that will protect the environment, etc., And, you know, that is a fair point. So, you know, I think it very much, it's amazing that people use their voices. I think they have limitations, but if they use them in the right way, it helps the cause. And of course, I think because, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is quite attractive, I think he attracts a lot more people to the cause as well that normally wouldn't be interested. Yeah, no, for sure. For our listeners out there, if there were like three climate change issues that you wish everyone knew right now, um, what would they be? Oh, that's a tough question because there are actually so many. And <laughs> I, you know, I recently wrote a book actually that just got published in August, which is called The Climate is Changing, Why Aren't We? Yes, we are ready to talk about that just after this as well. So you can go right into that if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I won't plug myself yet. But no, I was just going to say that in that 
book touches upon like lots of different um, climate issues that we're facing. But top three, um, well, sea levels are rising and entire nations are really about to disappear. By 2050, some islands like Kiribati and others, you know, may not even exist. And there is nothing under international law that protects climate refugees. So, you know, where do these people go? What happens to them? Who do they belong to if that entire nation, that country disappears underwater? You know, that's something I like to see people talk about. Another one is the deforestation that we're talking about. You know, it's completely destroying ecosystems and biodiversity. You know, we need to protect the land and the planet that we have and not, you know, remove it for um, animal farming and other reasons where we as humans can actually live like simultaneously with nature instead of the other. And then one that kind of really speaks, I feel like to us and as our audience and, and like, you know, people, young people living in cities is really kind of our own personal consumption habits and whether it be to do with plastic or fast fashion, you know, just recognizing that behind all of these things that we buy and use, there's an entire supply chain of people that have made these things and the impact that it's had on the planet. And just to make more conscious choices, I think will allow us to have a greater impact everywhere for the planet. I think a lot of people have been more conscious of that, especially within our generation, about, you know, eating in a way in a way that's more conscious, um, consuming, you know, less, again, fast fashion, shopping locally, shopping ethical products, um, and just being a lot more mindful of, of their purchases as consumers. And I think there's also influencers now who are helping bring that to the forefront and sort of, um, I guess you could say just blasting that, that message across to, to their audiences. So hopefully there is more of a change down the line. I know personally, like I, you know, choose to eat I mean, this is up for discussion of whether this is better or not for the environment, I guess. But I personally eat plant-based for the most part. I eat fish sometimes. I, I'm, so I'm basically vegan or plant-focused. And then in when I buy stuff, when I buy furniture, like for my new flat, I was very conscious about, you know, buying things that were maybe made from local artisans or craft makers as opposed to you know going on ikea and buying something from there again you can never be 100 percent doing the right thing because it's always a transition process um and i think that as long as you're being conscious of how sustainable you are or you're putting a conscious effort into being more sustainable then i think that's that's the right direction for what anyone could go in really Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying. And, you know, that's something that I like always have strongly advocated for that none of us are perfect. None of us will be perfect. I'm far from perfect. And, you know, furthermore, I've been in so many situations, especially in the climate environment, where I just don't fit in because there's, again, there's that like kind of stereotype, there's a stigma, you have to be this way, you have to do the other, etc. And I feel like if this conversation is consistently preaching to the already converted that do all this stuff, you know, we're not going to have a greater impact and, you know, we're not going to be able to, you know, change the world. That's why, you know, as you say, small actions multiplied by lots of people and then not feeling guilty either about, you know, if sometimes you're plant-based, sometimes you're not, you know, that's your choice and no one should judge you for that. And, you know, it's something that I really like strongly, strongly advocate for. Same with fashion. It's so fun to buy vintage, but the reality is, is that, you know, we don't live in a world 
where everyone can afford sustainable or vintage options or that companies are just not providing them for consumers, making it easy for us to be sustainable. And I definitely think like unless there's more options and they become more price affordable and they become more common amongst consumers, then we'll have greater change. But for now, sometimes it is such an effort for people to be this way. So, you know, we also have to be mindful of that, of how we can make this topic more accessible as well. I agree with that. I also think about this. Where does the responsibility lie? Is it the corporations, the companies that need to be more conscious? Or does it kind of fall on you as the consumer to do your research and to, you know, be as or try to live as sustainably as possible and reduce your footprint in the world. I always think about that because the cost of being sustainable is more than not. So does the responsibility then fall on the corporations? And then that is a whole other discussion of like mm-hmm. margins and, you know, making money. Yeah, no, it's... it's but at the end of the day, you know, we lived in a we live in a globalized capitalistic world, and that's not going to change. You know, yesterday um, with the fa- with the foundation had this you know this ethical dilemma of you know, do we accept uh, you know money from a company that ships oil and gas? You know, and there's some people obviously divided, saying no, 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 you can never take that money because it you know it came from a company like that. But there's the other side of the argument of you know. We need to bring these people into the conversation. We can do so much more by educating and working together instead of creating those divides. Um, And from a corporation standpoint, 100% they need to stand up and start doing more. I'm kind of sick of seeing, you know, as well, like a lot of fast fashion brands doing conscious collections. But please tell me how you're making a conscious dress for $9.99. That means somewhere in your supply chain, you do have slave labor and, you know, you might be using recycled plastic material, but how can that be $9.99? It's just not possible. So I think as consumers, we have the responsibility to ask questions, to question the brands that we buy from and that we support. But at the same time, you know, corporations, they're the ones that have the money. They can do the research and development. And, you know, I think maybe let's hope that in the in the future, people making profit also want to have purpose. And that will mean that, you know, business starts to change for good instead of like before when it, you know, back when Coca-Cola were the stars, you know, it was maximizing, uh, you know, profit for shareholders. Let's see that change and let's, you know, have more of a all-encompassing, helping the planet, helping people, and making money at the same time. And corporations need to be doing that. Are there any tips that maybe you can share to our audience that everyone can start implementing right now? Let's say two to three. Personal habits. Yeah, tips, habits. To reduce your carbon footprint, essentially. Um, I would definitely say some of the the points that you touched on, Christina, like, you know, eating more of a plant-based diet, even if you're not, you know, fully vegan or fully veg, but definitely reducing your meat consumption. Even once a week, there's a challenge called Meatless Mondays. Start with Meatless Mondays. That was started by Stella McCartney. You know, do start that. Don't eat meat on a Monday. And you're already making such a, a huge impact because, you know, meat does take a huge toll on the planet, the amount of water and the food that animals need, etc. So, yeah, reducing meat consumption. And yeah, I know that, Christina, you love fashion. So, you know, from a fashion perspective, it's like looking at, you know, how we can buy 
vintage or, you know, clothes swap with friends or, you know, just be more mindful of, you know, am I going to wear this? There's a other great challenge called, um, it's by EcoAge and it's essentially like, when you're buying something, ask yourself, will I wear this more than 30 times? If the answer is yes, buy it. If not, then don't buy it because it's just not worth it. And then the third one, I don't know, it depends on on your lifestyle and everyone is different. I mean, I know that one of the things that I've started to change recently is travel. I used to travel a lot for work and also for pleasure, but being being more mindful of, you know, less carbon footprint, whether it's in the city or, you know, going internationally and actually exploring like what's on your on your doorstep more. Yeah. Yeah, travel's been a big one for a lot of people, I think, this this year, um, especially because of the restrictions. But it is insane when you think about how much fuel is, you know, let into the air um, every single time that we that we just want to go on a tropical vacation. <laughs> I mean, and there's also other ways like you can carbon offset. So, you know, you can pay a company that off the back of the amount of uh, miles you're going to fly will plant mangroves or support sustainable projects that will help, you know, regenerate the environment. And while it's not a cure, it's definitely a help. So it's a super easy thing to do after traveling to carbon offset. So Daisy, let's get into your book a little bit. Um, So you are the author of a book that was published earlier this year called Climate is Changing, Why Aren't We? Obviously, your interest in the topic is what stemmed this, but to be an author at such a young age, I think is quite an accomplishment. Um, So tell us a bit about it. Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing experience. I mean, I got a message on LinkedIn from a lady from a publishing house in London who said like, oh, hi, like I read an interview about you in Marie Claire magazine. You know, I work at List Brown Publishing. Um, You know, if you'd be interested in having a chat, let me know, here's my email. So I like obviously Googled her. She was legit. She worked at the publishing house, uh, reached out, went to have coffee, got along super well with her. And, you know, she said, obviously climate change is a hot topic your experience um, is highly credible to, you know, to write about this topic. We're looking for a book that, you know, specifically targets like young, you know, millennial Gen Z that's focused on like individual actions, like that's empowering. So, you know, she said, write a proposal. If I like it, I'll share it with my editors and we'll go from there. And so I did, I wrote a proposal. She obviously liked it. She shared it with her editors pitched it to them and then they gave me an offer and I started writing the book which I was like at the beginning like oh my god how am I going to write 65,000 words by myself like I I was quite daunted by the task but then in the end it was an amazing learning experience and and I organized myself you know doing it chapter by chapter I learned an incredible amount just doing research for the topic itself, Um, you know, outside of everything that I already knew. I mean, it's just a minefield of information that's out there from science to, you know, articles to also like what's real and what's not on the internet and verifying that and seeing what was worth including and what wasn't. So I learned a huge amount um, and yeah, it was a really great process. And did you have like, so did you have a co-author at all or was it all you? No, it was all me. Wow. So, um, I mean, I did like think to myself, oh my God, like, is there any way that I can get anyone to help me? But in the end, like, it just wasn't possible. So I had to sit in front of my computer and do it myself. 
which, you know, is again, like really good learning experience. But my publisher, she was so, so nice amazing woman and we kind of did it like chapter by chapter so I'd write a chapter would send it to her she would give me feedback and we did that for every chapter and then actually the most challenging part was when all of the chapters were put together which I think in the end ended up being like 65,000 words everything was in one they send it to a copy editor and they like go through everything and question absolutely everything that you wrote um and then also obviously all the punctuation grammar sentence structures all of that stuff and I would say that was probably actually the most time consuming and hardest part was the whole editing process uh but yeah I did it myself and it was a good challenge how is the organization of the book? Just for me personally, I'm curious. Uh, is it a compilation? Like what is, how are the chapters structured? So the way the ch- chapters are structured are, it, so each chapter is like a different theme. So from plastics to food, to fashion, to lifestyle, to women, to people. And so each chapter opens with um, kind of stats and facts about that kind of industry or that topic and the reality of where we are right now. And then um, it goes on to, you know, talk about where we need to be, what can be done, gives examples or interviews with people that are, you know, doing great things or ha- have businesses or gives examples of different businesses and things that, could, that are doing good things. And at the end it's of each chapter, there's like tips and easy switches that we can make as individuals related to that topic. Along with your book, are there any top documentaries, top books, top brands that you can share with us that maybe even you consume and are part of your life um, that would help our audience become educated and more familiar with climate change, with the issues? Um, so actually, at the back of the book, there is actually a whole kind of like f- few pages that you know, have more um, resources and like talks about that, about different films or podcasts um, and things that, you know, I like to listen to and, um, you know, what else we could do. So get the book and you'll find out. (laughs) Yeah, get the book and you'll find out. I just ordered mine. I'm just waiting for it to come in because as soon as we set up the interview, I was like, I must read this. We'll link it down for you guys below as well. So you can just click and then get redirected to that. Did you get yours on Amazon? Amazing, thank you. Yeah, I was like scared to say that I did because Amazon's like not the best, most sustainable company <laughs> to purchase from. I should have said I purchased it from a local books bookstore, but everything was closed in London when all the shops were closed when I yeah. ordered it. So. I mean, no, that's that's the reality. You know, it's sold on like Amazon um, for people not in the UK. I think Book Depository is sometimes actually better to buy off. And then if you're in London, et cetera, like, or England, Waterstones. Mm-hmm. Um, but then super fun, like someone in Dubai in a shopping mall today sent me a picture of the book and was like, oh, I just saw this in the mall. I mean, I had no idea that they were selling it in bookstores in Dubai. So that was really fun. Yeah, I mean, the feeling that you must get is just, especially when someone shares that with you, like, you know, I'm sure it was just a, a DM because they searched up their, your name and then you just get a random DM from a stranger and it kind of just, I don't know, lifts up your day a little it's bit. Like, yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, the whole aim of the book was about kind of opening up the conversation. Like, I openly admit in the book, you know, that I am far from perfect. I do not do everything that is advised in the book. This is just kind of what I've learned 
what I know is what people are saying or the scientists are saying that we should switch to or what we can do or where we can be proactive. But at the end of the day, everyone's life is different. Everyone mean, Everyone's means are different. Where you live affects a huge amount of what you can do, like composting or not, or, you know, all of those things. And it's about like the imperfect perfect, I guess. And it's all working together. And also, in order to sustain a sustainable lifestyle, you have to implement changes that you can actually do and continue to do, not just for a week or a month, but something that can really just change your habits and you can sustain for the rest of your life. So, And I can imagine the feeling of putting so much love and attention and sweat and tears into you know, 65,000 words and then seeing it on the bookshelves and it actually impact other people. Yeah, I know that's been like a hugely rewarding feeling. However, I like didn't show anyone I know anything that I wrote during the process. And I was really scared when the book actually came out um, of what people think or, you know, what people would say. Um, But so far, the, the, the feedback has been positive. So that's good. No, that's amazing. Um, so seeing as, I mean, since graduating, you've had all these experiences that have kind of helped you understand more about yourself and about your direction. I feel like it's safe to say that you probably know what your why is at this point. Um, and do you want to maybe share it with the audience? Um, actually, I think that's a really difficult question because while I always like have done something, say with a purpose, I feel like that changes over time. And as I've grown in this journey from starting an organization at super inexperienced at 21 to where I am now at 26 and handing it over, you know, in the coming year to someone else and switching my careers, etc. The why I've been doing things always changes. And I actually don't know a specific why or why I ended up on this. But all I know is that, you know, everything that I've done, I've done to make the world in what way I can a a better place. And that sounds really cheesy, but it definitely has been kind of a motive behind the stuff that I've done before. And at the end of the day, you know, this topic is not for one person. This affects absolutely everyone everywhere in the world, no matter where you are. And so, you know, thinking about that, this is something greater than ourselves or our own bubble, Um, has always been an influencing factor as well and giving voice to you know the people that don't have a voice and I mentioned that too in the book you know talking about women in climate and things like that Um, so yeah I'm gonna think about my why now though (laughs) (laughs) I don't know mine yet either but I just feel like yours is more developed but I think ultimately it's gonna come down to like the reason why you've done all these things is because you have like a true passion for, again, educating, giving a voice to people and ensuring that like what you can do in your power is applied and that impact is made. So I think that will string along through whatever you do. It's just going to obviously change depending on how your career shifts. And I think you even touched on it when you said making the world a better place the way that I can and the way that I can influence. So I think that is very impactful in and of itself. Did you have any assumptions going into the climate world, climate change, starting an organization, any assumptions that have proven maybe true or false that you can share with us? About the process Um, more so. Along the process um, was definitely again like you know I had no experience so learning and having to trust people 
who supposedly knew better was like one of the big things. But I would probably say that sometimes when you're doing something, you know, even though delegate is important, sometimes it ends up better just doing it yourself or, you know, trusting yourself more just because you're young or you don't necessarily have experience. Don't not trust your gut or your instinct because normally that's actually right. And if you then believe in someone else it doesn't work out you'll always regret not going with yourself so like believing in myself and definitely like carrying that forward has not been an easy acceptance but it's something that you know is a learning process and becoming more confident and then again I, I mentioned it earlier about the um you know the non-profit space I had I think I was very naive when I went into the non-profit space thinking that everyone was there to save the world And it's really not like that. You know, it is running a business. Everyone is fighting for the dollars. Very few nonprofits want to collaborate because at the end of the day, everyone needs the dollars. Um, And so even though you're working towards the same cause, I kind of found that quite sad at times because collaboration was never easy where you would automatically assume that, well, we're both doing the same thing. So let's work together. Lots of that. And yeah, those are probably my greatest takeaways. And also, you know, again, going back to that part of like not fitting in and not being, you know, people, you know, I've been at so many, like I've been in places and, you know, not long ago, someone looked at me and was like, well, you know, how can be you, you be interested in this topic because you're wearing leather? And it's like, I feel like we need to break down those barriers. You're not a perfect eco warrior mm-hmm. if you believe in this cause, if you're, you know, thinking about it, if you're talking about it, if you're educating other people about it, um, so again, like going back to people being kind and non-judgmental. Yeah, and I think breaking class stereotypes as well, or even if like, you know, just because someone is wearing or has a designer handbag doesn't mean they don't care about the environment, you know, just because they have exactly. like a posh haircut or wear makeup. Like, I think the stereotype is like granola head, you know, wears khakis, maybe dreadlocks, um, of the stereotype of people who care about the environment. And that is just absolutely not not correct exactly and I do not fall into that latter category that you described <laughs> yeah you guys can't see Daisy right now but if you check her out on Instagram you'll see that that is not not her <laughs> I think people just have something to say in any case like you can never be the perfect advocate for let's say climate change or if you're a vegan like you know you can't be a perfect vegan or whatever practice that you kind of attach yourself to and say I stand for this people will always have something to say because you'll never be the perfect face or the perfect representation of what they think that is supposed to look like so I think it's just more so about the other people and not so much about yourself and I think that's just natural in the world it's like always the case like even for you KP when you say like you try to eat you try to eat plant-based you even have to be careful with the way that you phrase that because it's like if you put a stamp that like I'm vegan then people are going to say well Mm -hmm. you wear leather you consume all these things right it's like always that rebuttal or that clap back that people need to people need to like just share to you or share off their chest for some Mm -hmm. reason yeah, exactly. Haters gonna hate. Yeah, haters <laughs> gonna hate. And be supportive, you know, of other yes. people and their journeys. And everyone's in a different place. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I think that this topic specifically is something that Christine and I both care about, and we haven't had anyone on the 
pod, talk about it, explain. We got some really tangible tips today. And if you don't already have it, please go buy Daisy's book, Climate is Changing, Why Aren't We? Why don't you plug yourself for everyone? Let us know, let our audience know where they can find you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. Yeah, so the book is called The Climate is Changing, Why Aren't We? You can get that on Amazon and on other online platforms. You can follow Ocean Generation, which is the nonprofit on Instagram at Ocean Generation. And then you can follow me on Daisy S. Kendrick. Awesome. Thank you so much, Daisy. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.